Think you hate marketing? Think again. Here on the Marketing Chat Podcast, I share practical, relatable tips to make marketing easy and fun. I'm Kelly, a marketing strategist, Squarespace website designer, and founder of the Women Podcasters Academy. I'll be breaking down big ideas into actionable steps so you can get moving with your marketing with way less stress and way more fun. Welcome. Last week, the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade, allowing individual states to decide for themselves whether abortion can be legal. So today's episode isn't about marketing, business, or podcasting. Today, I'm interviewing three women on their perspectives of the Supreme Court's ruling and what they're doing about it. 13 states have trigger bans already on the books. This means that abortion will become illegal within the next 30 days. Another states are almost assured to ban abortion very quickly. 16 states plus the District of Columbia have trigger protections in place. This means that they already have laws in place that protect the right to an abortion. The remaining eight states are essentially a free for all. What happens in those states will depend on their state governments, which is which is the party in power and how the election goes in November. So let's meet my guests and jump into the discussion. So we'll start with going around and saying who you are, where you live, a little bit about what you do if you want, and specifically like what you do activism wise. So do you want to start, Gwen? Sure. Um, my name is Gwen Thompson, and I teach um, coding, robotics, um, technology locally um, for our um, college that's here. Uh, mostly I teach kids. Um, and I have been uh, involved with local democratic um, politics, I'm not heavily. Um, I, um, I feel like, um, supporting candidates for myself, um, you know, canvassing and calling and things like that. Um, I found that that was a better way for me personally to, um, advocate for the things that I feel are important. Um, that's great. And so, yeah, I'm just, I'm a mom of LGBTQ kids. Um, I, um, you know, I'm a woman, obviously. (laughs) Um, So, um, you know, I have some very, very strong feelings about um, Roe v. Wade being turned over. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. And Shania, how about you? Oh, I think you're on mute. I am. There you so go. I'm Shanae Jackson. Um, I currently reside in North Central Florida. I'm in the process of moving from one county back to Alachua County, which is where I know um, Gwen from. I, um, I actually do a- activism as my job. So this mm. is my this is my day job. And so I advocate um, pretty much around any issue. It started with education activism. Um, it transitioned into criminal justice activism, um, health and reproductive justice. So anything that is a quality of life indicator, I probably am an activist as it relates to that. And that just goes back to my why. I'm a mom who loves my children dearly, and I don't want to leave the world to them in the manner in which it is. 
And then I kind of, I, my brand name, I guess, is the accidental activist because it was not a title that I took agreeably. It was a title that was actually given to me. And it just kind of happened for really standing up and yelling from the rooftops what, of what is right. And so before I actually became an activist full time, I saw a lot um, because I worked for many of the top companies. So like I was in banking, I was in healthcare, I was high up based related to some of the larger restaurants. Um, and so there's a knowledge base that I have that's vastly different. And then I just have a different experience. So being a black woman in America who came from nothing, who was deemed successful, um, there's just a different perspective there. And I'm willing to scream it from the rooftops. That's awesome. Thank you. And Brooke? Hi, I'm Brooke Kerr. I live in Gainesville, Florida. Um, I know Gwen, and I've heard of Sinead, and um, I'm a legal assistant in a criminal defense office. I have been, I grew up in a very small town, very conservative, and none of that ever felt right. I started working with moveon.org during George Bush II's election, and have since then um, took got involved in women's studies courses, and since in high school, helping women find funding and securing abortions, transporting to same, um, learning about herbal ways for things to happen, which are not the safest, but you know, sometimes people have to do what they have to do. I yeah. also am a mother of three, um, and my tubes are tied, but I do have a daughter and son, so... I am, you know, personally not affected just by this ruling, but I am affected by the outcome and the what the rollback of this ruling is going to be. And then my children and other people's children and the socioeconomic disparity that will come with who gets prosecuted when this all goes down. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, I can't have kids anymore. I've gone through menopause, but it infuriates me, even though it doesn't affect me, my body personally, it affects society. I have two adult daughters, one of whom has had an abortion. She's made it public on Instagram. So I feel like I can say it here. And it, even if it doesn't affect an individual directly, we should all care because it affects all of society. And like you just said, the socioeconomic disparities, the racial disparities, and what's coming as a result of this, you know, the other rights that are slated, according to Clarence Thomas, to be taken away, which well, I'll ask already, about later. You know, they repealed the Miranda requirement. Yep. Prior to this announcement. Yep. And, you know, Florida just actually, the appellate court here just overturned Chief Judge Walker's ruling on felons being able to vote. <sighs> so yeah. if you charge women who have an abortion with a felony, guess who doesn't get to vote? Mm. Now, in some sections, maybe not a bad idea. I will. I'm sorry. My phone is not acting normal today. <laughs> um, maybe not the worst. Maybe some people should take a time out there, but it. It's a bigger picture that's really, really scary. And like Shanae was saying, I, it's not the world I want to leave for my children. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. So, you know, it probably goes without saying, but I would love to hear y'all's reactions to 
the the announcement that Roe was overturned. Brooks, since you're on the screen, would you start? Um, I was actually at work getting ready to walk out the door to go check on one of my children who was broken as me. Oh. Um, you know, we knew it was coming. It wasn't a surprise. I'm, I guess I was disappointed and disgusted, angry, but I wasn't shocked. Um, after reading it, I was a little shocked that after the draft had leaked, some things weren't changed. Um, like the continuing to quote Hale, who was an abysmal human being, uh, you know, he really was exuberantly championing men sexually assaulting their wives. Uh, not a great person. Um, and then just knew it was, you know, boots to the ground time. Yeah. You know, we, I go to protests because numbers are important, but then it's time to start joining, finding, not reinventing the wheel. The networks to help people with these things exist and a million people wanting to be the champion of, oh, I've started this thing and we can do this is that they're already there. And it's finding the ones that have been there talking to my friends who have worked at clinics. Um, I have a friend who works at one now who unfortunately could not join us today. Um, legal reasons, but, uh, Resource finding from those people what they need. One of the suggestions were donating gas cards to your local clinics so that they can get them to people in need who can leave. And then having really, you know, my daughter's only eight, so she doesn't really know much, but my sons are teenagers and like explain what this means also for them. Yeah. What it can mean for them. Yeah. Very true. And, you know, t taking the time morning. That's basically, you know, you go, we, I think we had a march here on Saturday and Friday. Um, and it is, it's a morning. It's a realizing that this has happened and that women really are, and that another woman voted for this. Yeah. Not that I yeah. think much of her period priority in this ruling, but mm -hmm. um, yeah. it was just, it was devastating. And now I'm, you know, watching the people in my life and who's going to be allowed to stick around and, um, the men basically, mm -hmm. what you got mm -hmm. to say, you're, Oh, you're not doing anything. Mm -hmm. And then linking with community resources, because there's articles already about when it came down and women in waiting rooms being told they got to go. And like, I can't have this baby. So finding the organizations that are already in place to do the things that need to be done, because there are women who now are in trouble, not six months from now, not down the road, but were supposed to be able to terminate a pregnancy last week. And now they don't know what they're going to do because they're in the middle of, you know, Kentucky. Right. Exactly. Just horrifying. Mm -hmm. Shanae, how about you? Um, I have one, which is typically my reaction. And that's rage. Um, and for me, it, because I don't for or against abortion rights. And I am very clear that the is actually a privilege if we can get to the So I want people to understand that this is not about abortion rights. This is absolutely about a healthcare decision. And if you can strip this healthcare decision away, you can strip all the others. And so when I talk to people, because this is the work that I do related to reproductive justice, for me, as a Black woman, we die three times at the, the rate of everyone else in childbirth. Our babies are dying four times the rate. 
people don't have an understanding of the implications of this because they don't realize what all actually encompasses reproductive health. And so even too, Thomas even talked about the access to birth control. My daughter's not sexually active, but she's on birth control in order to save her life. And so for her, she has a period. We've tested everything. It is extremely aggressive. Um, she bleeds so heavily that she's had to have blood transfusions and actually had to have so this is not even about, well, oh, just don't have sex for me. It's actually a life-saving method. Additionally, research shows that with Black women, we typically have issues as it relates to childbirth, as it relates to things I'm saying with my daughter because of environmental factors. And not current environmental factors, but many of the environmental factors that were set into place even before we started to have children. And even some of those factors currently, when you have lack of access to quality food and lack of access to quality housing, Lack of access to affordable quality childcare, that's a reproductive right. We also have to look at reproductive rights. Cancer is a part of reproductive health. And so that's breast cancer, that is cervical cancer, that is uterine cancer. Black women get it less, but we're the ones that are dying the most. Mm -hmm. So me, I'm with rage to a whole nother level. And so even <laughs> about access to housing and the things that we still don't have. So even when people want to debate with me about false equivalents, they're saying, oh, it's alive. It's not. Scientifically, a baby cannot be viable outside of the womb for 20 weeks. In very, very rare cases, they see some instances of 18 weeks. If it's not viable outside of the womb, it's not a life. And I know that sounds harsh, but that's just the reality of it all. I'm tired of the false um, Bible scriptures that say, oh, that's referencing abortion, and they're not. And I see the one that's Jeremiah that's going around, that if anyone had any basic understanding of the Bible, if you read the entire passage, it is very clear that in that, if you're believing in God, that it was referencing spiritually. And I think what's so, what enrages me the most is how people really miss the entire point outside of all of this. It's nobody else's business. So no matter what your position is on either side, what someone else chooses to do, it's none of our business. I was debating with a woman in their religion. They don't believe in engaging in politics or a trust of the government. And so as I stated to her, so you should be one of the main people that understands how it's not the government business, whatever happens. But there's the other puzzle piece of this. Um, even there's a, a rep in Illinois, rep, um, Republican representative, I think Mary Miller is her name. And in her speech, she said that this is a victory for white life. So this whole notion that white people are now starting to be outnumbered and they need to replenish the race, they really believe this. So in all essence, the reason this is not even about us, because the research shows that Black women are not the ones who even have any abortions. It just shows that our maternal outcomes are dismal. It is take away the choice of women who want to decide when they should have babies. Even the fact that most of this legislation does not even encompass rape. And I, I just, I can't get past it. Some of this legislation, you can be prosecuted for having a spontaneous abortion, which is just a miscarriage. Yeah. You prosecuted if you need to have a, a DNC, which is an abortion, because you have a tumor pregnancy, which we know is going to kill you and the child. So none of this is actually about a right to life. This literally is about control. Yep, absolutely. Thank you for all of that. Yeah. Brooke, how about you? I mean, uh, sorry, uh, Gwen. Yeah, I already asked you, Brooke. <laughs> um, so when I found out 
I was visiting um, two very dear friends who I care very much for. Um, they are a same-sex couple. Um, and my very close friend texted me that it had been overturned. She's newly um, divorced. Um, so this, this will affect her directly. And then my friends um, indirectly um, or it will be directly along the line. Um, you know, they were um, devastated um, because they understand that when we don't have bodily autonomy, then any law that comes down the line that says you, what you can do with your body, you know, can affect you. So, um, you know, they're going to be, um, so there's that, um, you know, they're very concerned about their marriage. Um, you know, this is such a new thing, um, relatively that they could be married. Um, and now they're looking at all of that being turned upside down. Um, and then for me, um, I have trans kiddos, um, two of them, and we already find it very difficult to get life-affirming treatments for them. Um, there are parents in Texas who are um, facing prosecution for seeking out life-affirming treatments for their children. Luckily, my kids are adults. Um, and, but they weren't when we started. Um, and so the idea that they would be denied those, um, necessary, uh, medical treatments, um, is really, really scary. Absolutely. So yeah, livid, mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> um, just dismayed, um, like the whole, there's a whole sort of range of emotions, despair, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And feeling that despair, it's really tough. I I've been finding like to move through that, but mostly I'm feeling so much rage. And, and I find that when I feel rage, it's easier to take action as opposed to staying despondent. So then it's a matter of, okay, what do I do with that? You know, what action do I take? And, um, so real quick, I want to go back to Shanae and have you found when you talk to people about how this is a healthcare issue and human rights issue, as opposed to an abortion rights issue, how do people respond to that on the whole? I'm very receptive. And most people just didn't know. And so you do have those who like I had one woman. She was like, oh, no, I had a cousin that was born at 16 and a half weeks. And this, as I stated to her, that's just absolutely not true. Yeah. I said, in fact, for you to push a an untruth, to push a baseless opinion, we just don't have a space for that. And so even to but calling them out on it and then just leaving well enough alone. And so for me, because I'm so versed on the issue, it intimidates people who are not prepared. And as I state, I'll make the point in order to be very clear with them, because I notice now you're engaging not to hear what I have to say, but to get your opinion out. You can have that. But at the end of the day, it's still none of your business. Yeah. 
Absolutely. That's great. So with that issue of taking rage and using that to take action, actions that y'all were taking before the before Roe was overturned, do you feel so being a professional activist and uh, Brooke and Gwen, y'all doing what y'all were doing, do you feel like it has helped, I mean, regardless of Roe being overturned, because that's a Supreme Court thing. You know, they allegedly don't listen to the public. Clearly, they didn't listen to the public <laughs> in this case, because a majority of Americans support the right to an abortion. A majority of America, the majority of Americans support the right to an abortion. But it, they listen to the public, but it's the, this, the certain public that they're listening to. And so that's the point that I want to make clear with anyone, because often people don't want to get involved in politics when that's where you should be. The one reason we should know to get involved in politics, if people make six figures or millions of dollars a year, and then they invest millions of dollars to go get a job that makes 40 or 50 or in the state of four to $29,000 a year, you have to ask yourself why. And they get involved in those jobs so that they can maintain the power structure. So therefore, the Supreme Court listened to the public as in the power structure. Mm -hmm. So the way that we change that is we have to create a mandate so that doesn't happen. One of the challenges is our two-party system is crap. And that's just being, being a person who does this. And number two, helping if you're, and so for me, I'm people over party all day. But if we're going to align ourselves with a party, the reason I align myself with one party is because they say the right things. So if you're saying the right things, that means I get to hold you accountable for what you said. This is what you said you should do it. But what happens is they're falling into that, let's pander to the moderate person. Mm -hmm. There's no space for that. There is, yeah. you have to choose a side and you have to be deliberate about choosing that side. And we have to come together for the things that we agree upon. We can debate all day long about something we don't agree on, but that's how they divide and conquer us. And that's what has happened. This has been a one-two punch. So we've seen a Roe versus Wade that we've been fighting against. We've seen all the voting rights acts across the states that we've been fighting against. We've seen all the constitu constitutional care legislation or the refusal to actually do anything as it relates to gun control. We have seen, the, like in Florida, the Don't Say Gay Bill and the Stop Stay Woke Bill. They are very, they know for a fact <laughs> that what they're doing is weighing us down and they have us like squirrel. So we're chasing all of those things. So we're not paying attention to how they overturned um, a felon's right to vote in the state of Florida or now Miranda has been thrown out. And I want people to understand, even throughout history, if you look at the four horsemen, which were the Supreme Court justices that were out after Franklin Delano Roosevelt, they were just like these justices. They were very aggressive, very egregious. What happens is the other side, they play for wins and they play to keep. We always want, I'm going to be the better person. We're not going to do it that way. And that's literally how we ended up with the justices that we have. Mm -hmm. As you stated, that anger and that rage is what motivates people to action. That's all they preach is fear. Yeah. And interestingly enough, they're, because they're the ones preaching the fear, people are not paying attention to that. They're the ones that are causing the fear. And we have to be, we just have to be cognizant of that. And so what happens is even now, the way that we run candidates and the way that we do things is, oh, well, I just want to go talk to the people that I know that I know who's going to vote. 
that how do you change things if only 33% of the popular the um the voter and the popular is voting? The electorate, you got to expand their electorate. That means you got to engage regular people. Look at what the other side did. They learned to go in spaces that no one else went. So people didn't really know much, but I went and voted for them because at least they showed up to my door. Yeah. So helping with that here, because we I do it professionally, um, it was a great deal easier to get so many people together at a short notice. So like our event on Tuesday had over 2,000, but that literally after the May 14th rally that we conducted, I had 467 names of people that I now can call to action when that time comes. Um, on yesterday, we had an event that was already planned, which is our We Are Here and We Are Queer event. And so with that, it was it was about civic engagement, but we made it a fun event. So there was a drag show and a fashion show and a dance party. And so starting to be representative of people who typically have not been represented in a very deliberate way by bringing that culture in. And I've been that way because I know how important my culture is to me. And it's always omitted in conversations. I also additionally, and I'm sorry, Black, because that's what it is. Yeah. Of Black people that do show up, we are, we are the reason that Democrats get elected. But what happens mm-hmm. is we're the ones that they never deliver on any promises. Yeah. And so that's one of the reasons there's so much voter apathy. We're doing our part. We're showing up in droves 98%, 92%, 93%. But then when you get elected, you're still trying to do things to please the other side and to please yeah. other people. And so we have to you know, be willing to tell the truth. We have to be willing to center, and not just Black voices, but Hispanic voices, other BIPOC populations. And oh my gosh, I am so successful because my team is absolutely amazing. Mm-hmm. And so I have a team of staffers that are all identified in some way as queer, and they're all young people. So they're able to bring in their vision, the way that they view the world, and together we mesh my vision and how I view the world together in a collaborative way. And it makes us a great deal more effective and it makes it easier for us to engage other people to come to the table with this. And then we understand that things are systems. So like now we're working on a statewide push because Florida can be that state that people can look to finally and say they did something right. Uh, Wouldn't that be nice to be able to say, yay, Florida, instead of, oh, my God, what have they done now? Oh, and you are so, uh, yeah, go on, Brooke. I I have a question for Shanae. So I will say like during this last presidential election, I've always been big on voting. I've taken my kids to vote ever since they were little. This is what we do. This is what we do. This is what we do. I took them to see Bernie because that's who we supported. I was not going to vote in this last election. Um, I was livid. I was livid at what the DNC had done to Bernie twice. I was livid that I believe that what they did by giving us candidates, there's that were people who chose not to vote, which is how we got Trump, which is how we got these justices. Um, so I wasn't going to vote because I was I was done. I wasn't being listened to by what my party, even though I'm probably more left than they consider. Um, and now, you know, Obama said he'd codify Roe v. Wade and he didn't. Biden could have done it. He could have ended the filibuster. There is so much that could be done. And what I'm basically hearing from the White House now is thoughts and prayers, mm-hmm. which I don't want. So how do you energize people to vote when even people who are like me a long time and we're still stuck with this two-party system? I wasn't my and I only the only reason I did go vote is someone called me out and they're like, that's me choosing not to vote was my privilege because I am white. And I can pass in a Trump America. I did for four years. I have three white children. Um, 
So that's why I did vote. But at this point, it almost seems pointless. Like I know it isn't, but for someone who hasn't been involved in justice, wanting to come into politics now, or my kids having watched all these years of activism and voting and donating and, you know, uh, talks and speeches, what, like my oldest son just turned 18. Why he's, why would I, it doesn't matter. Tell him to come um, in. I, I can change his mind. Okay. So the deal is we look at the presidential election as the game changer, and that couldn't be furthest from the truth. Mm-hmm. So we got to look at relation to power. The most power that we have is within our local communities, starting there. And then you build power from there all the way up. So that means, and the interesting part about it is, so most people don't have no idea what's going on locally. And that's where we're falling short. That's how we get stuck with a president that we're not excited about. So what happens is you build the community that's nearest and closest to you. So, for example, even when I moved to Marion County and I'm moving back to Latua County, I still oh, held <laughs> I still <laughs> held Latua County accountable for doing what was right. And so that's why I've been so effective. And along that journey, being very clear with people, we got here together. We get here together. If I ask you to do something, you, you have to do it. And then I understood, I learned the deliberateness of the actual follow-up. So not just randomly asking people, but picking up the phone. And it's a lot of work and calling. Hey, why didn't you show up? Hey, why didn't you do this? We get uncomfortable doing that with each other as it relates to politics when that's the most powerful tool to get people motivated to action. I learned to do that and also be educated. Like now I'm rolling out, I'm training and different things because there's many people that want to get involved because there's such a knowledge gap. They don't feel worthy of getting involved, not understanding that you are the expert because you're impacted. And then from there, and that's what so one, one of the things my organization does is we go find candidates and we don't want politicians. We want regular people that are willing to learn Tallahassee and learn in office, but that show us representation and action. And so for me, representation doesn't mean somebody that just looks like me because they happen to be black or a woman, but where they have a track record where they've shown that the issues that they're running on, these are issues that they worked in because you're going to look at it differently. And from there, so now we're stacking our school board. Now we're stacking our city commission and our county commission. Now we're stacking our soil and water board. Now we're stacking our state reps. Even in this, in Florida, there were 43 seats that there was not a horse in the race that was progressive at all. Mm-hmm. How do you even start to create change if there's no horse in the race? The establishment tells them you don't run in the race because you can't win. Who cares? You got to start to motivate people. You got to get name recognition. You got to let people know that there is hope is possible. If you don't put anyone in the race, hope is not even possible or actualized. Well, and people will vote like Democrats will vote Democrat when they see a Democrat on the ballot and Republicans know to put the horse in the race on all of the in all the local elections. So they do stack the race and Democrats, from my perspective, don't do that. Is that right? Exactly. And so what you do is so for me, the, the president, that's long term. Here, we have the ability in order to create change within one election cycle. You literally can change, make a huge change if you are the person who picks, who vets the candidates, who offer them the support, and when they win because it's a one election cycle. Another part of our organization that's different, our candidates that we run, we're with them once they're elected. So we're ensuring that they're accountable and we keep the same energy. If you don't do the right thing, you get called out. 
the establishment doesn't like that. So for example, we have a candidate in CD3, when we planned the march in May 14th, she was mad because we didn't want candidates to speak. We wanted it to be about people. And so she helped to plan our march back in October and she, she revoked access to a document that we all created. And when I called her on it, people wanted to be mad and upset. I'm, I have built a level of brand of trust and people trust me. I can't co-sign that. So even at the end of the day, and there's like, well, if she's better than the Republican candidate, at the end of the day, we need to be more deliberate about getting people that we don't just have to accept a swallow hole or that they came to us on a trash can. I was not a fan of Biden at all. Um, and it's been extremely dismal and disappointing. But I understand that if we build power locally, it'll resonate up into higher ranks. And, it'll, and you know, you become that person. You become the group that's best practices. I'm teaching people now activism is not yelling and cursing everybody out now that you're mad. That is important. And that's the first thing. But actually getting the resources. Yes. Um, getting the resources and actually building a healthy community. Because when a community is healthy, more people are willing to come to the table. And helping, um, one of the things that I tell people now is set on fire any of your current belief system. Set on fire any way that you've been doing things because it's not working. So that means we all need to get our egos out of the way and come to the table and figure out how to make this work. This work is thankless. And the behind the scenes, the research, the, the emails, the things that no one sees, that's the most important aspect of this work. And so my job, in my mind, and, is to bring people to replace me. And what, like, and you said, there are people new coming in, and I don't, don't think at all that they should take the lead. I don't, you know, think I should take the lead in anything. But what type of resources now do you need? And how do people get? involved. Oh, I need all the resources. We need phone calls. I have attorneys. I have, you know, everybody wants to do a part. And sometimes it's really hard for them to understand that I get that you have a bar number, but you haven't done this for 10 years like I have. So your bar number needs to get on that phone and just make the calls. I don't need you to draft. I got my drafts. Absolutely. So I asked or challenged people to just get connected with me. Um, one of the things that I actually have created is a whole curriculum. So for new people, they actually will have the opportunity. Once I get a class of people, we'll determine what date is best. And for two hours every week, they'll actually go through um, activism from the history to the knowledge base, to actually doing particular actions, to actually getting on a subcommittee and being able to take it and run. We do personality assessments and we also do skills assessments. A lot of times people have wonderful, amazing skills that they can bring to the table that they don't realize. And this is our way of getting coordinated because if we build out the people power, then the work won't have to be so daunting and so mm -hmm. overwhelming. And so we understand even as a part of the training that I do is I discuss the different levels that people are and where they at where they are and then we build out basically the training plan from there i love shanae i love how you said we need to get our egos out of the way um because that's the one thing that i noticed locally um was an issue um there are so many groups so many people so many egos that the we just can't get the numbers right there's a march on Friday. There's a march on Saturday. There's a, you know, um, social functions, you know, three days down the road. There's only so much, you know, so many spoons that someone has that they can give to 50 different activities for the same cause. 
And, um, for that. So what we do is, and I'll be, I'm very candid and upfront, like our DEC, they, when our coalition started, they've done everything they could at first in order to stonewall us. And that's fine. I have a track record of showing how we were trying to collaborate with you. I can show you all of the emails that were sent. I can show you all of the texts that have been sent. So when that time comes, I have that ability to do so. Um, we've had them. Um, we've now been invited to some statewide coalitions, and even too, when you know people from the statewide coalitions give us the feedback, I always ask, "What are their numbers? What is their effectiveness for reaching and contacting potential voters?" And there's like, "You already know that you all are doing the work, so tell them you talk to me and let them know we're still going to work with them." And so that's my deal. And so we've held many of those organizations to be accountable. Like we have a candidate forum coming up. There's like nine organizations. Although many of the things we did a band off our bodies march that was successful, March for Our Lives, although we're the primary planners, you put your logo on here. This is what we need from you because we understand and wanting to people to visualize and conceptualize being unified and working together. And, and that's our deal. And so eventually one group might take on housing issues. Another group might take on, um, you know, queer rights, another group. And that's eventually what we want to be able to do. And then these groups are working together in unison to obtain the change that we want. And then even outside of egos, this whole respectability deal, we can't do that anymore. And even the finger pointing, our local officials always point to Tallahassee. But when I look at a county that's supposed to be so progressive and we have the largest gap in all of the quality of life indicators, that's not a Tallahassee deal. When I look at we want to blame the president, but Florida's 49th and so many things, that's our state legislature. So helping people to even understand how things run and who we should be holding accountable as well. Mm. Wow. Y'all sound amazing. <laughs> what you do there. Uh, one well, question. I- Mm-hmm. Oh, sorry. Just before, in case my phone would disconnect. I did want to say um, there is an organ- a, a national organization. It's called the National Network of Abortion Funds. And it is it, it's the organization that has been in place for years. It's led by a black queer woman. Um, and all the little ones that are popping up locally, like I, should, I think are important too. But this organization needs support right now because they are funding camping trips and helping people find women find access to what they need. And they're, they've been around forever. They're not reinventing a wheel. They need support. They don't need new groups coming in who have all the answers when they've already established them. Absolutely. And the networks and the communities and the support to get these things done because a hundred people trying to be a hero doesn't work. That's right. And what's it and called it again? So I'll, yeah. I'll share the link. The National Network of Abortion Funds. Great. And for our organization, anyone who wants to be out front, come. I will train you to be out front. <laughs> and <laughs> what is your organization called? So, um, I have a few. So the one is Florida Ford Coalition. Um, And that's actually co-founded by me and a former city commissioner who realized that her voice was being drowned out and there was only so much she could do as an elected official. And then my actual other organization is the Accidental Activist, which is like, that's just me, my name and my brand. And it actually, it came. And so what people do is like, I have a list of about a thousand volunteers that I can engage. And that's just because they've signed up to actually support the work. Awesome. I will share links to those. I'll get the links from you after we record and I'll share those in the show notes. Something you said earlier about it being healthcare. 
Reminded me of an article I read earlier today because most of the women I see who are like, yay, we won, are white, right Christian who who aren't understanding that, what is the saying? Master's favorite dog is still a dog. Yeah. Um, this also is going to encompass things like SSRIs. So if you get pregnant, you can be prosecuted for taking your antidepressant. If you don't take your antidepressant and you're pregnant and you're suicidal, you'll be prosecuted then too. Like it's not just reproductive care. But I want to point out that, and this is the puzzle piece that people I was sharing before we all jumped on. Mm-hmm. So for example, there's a judge here that was appointed by DeSantis and she's a female judge. And so if you go in her courtroom, she's extremely harsh with people like with DUIs and I'm um, hit and run accidents and things like that. Well, her daughter, mm-hmm. exactly that, was under the influence, left the scene, had been worn out for months and they were hiding her daughter and it happened in her car. The only reason that they turned the daughter in is because she's trying to rerun for her seat and the news is going to break it. So their whole deal, and even when you talk to people who work in abortion clinics, is these same people believe that people should not have an abortion unless it's their situation. And so we must understand that thought process. What you're saying falls upon deaf ears because they means everybody else, the peasants, the low people, but not <laughs> us. And so we have to understand that. Also, we need to be more mindful of history because history has been sold to in a way that's palatable. But the truth of the matter is we need to go back to things. And most things originate with slavery. States' rights initiated. This all came up to be because the original Constitution was that it had a ban on slavery and Virginia would not buy into it. That's how we got here as a compromise. Mm-hmm. But also, most people talk about slave owners. And the first thing we think of is actually white men. The primary slave owners were white women. Because think about it, men actually got slaves as a dowry from the wife's family. So they were absolutely, and I would ask people that start to really think about what was the role of white women while we were being raped and different things like that. They were an integral component of that. And so us trying to disregard that aspect of it is also what's problematic. Um, because then we don't give, we don't realize they're as dangerous as they are. And I, I have to say that. I don't know what other way to say it. Yeah. I don't take offense to it. Nope. <laughs> I, I know. That's how, you know, I know who voted and, yeah. and got us here. Yeah. I, who, I, vo- who, I, who voted I, against <laughs> Hillary. It was white women. Yep. Mm-hmm. And yeah. they know that they, and they will always be protected because they were able to weaponize their tears and they're not looked at upon as the threat. The yeah. programming has always been that other people, even white women that want to stand up for what's right, are deemed a threat because you're because of how the country came to be. And so until we start to tell even the truth about that, I hear people say all the time, well, this is not who we are. This is absolutely <laughs> who we are. Yes. This is yep. exactly who we yep. are. I I totally understand that black women don't trust us, even white women on the left, because there were so many white women, alleged Democrats who ended up voting against Hillary. And we haven't proved ourselves over the decades or hundreds of years. So of course, you know, we aren't trustworthy and what? And the other puzzle piece is it's white savior complex. Oh God, totally. They don't look at us. And so let me tell you this. When I really got started into activism, Trump got elected. I joined Women's March here. And as you can tell, I'm kind of intelligent. I'm kind of smart. I kind of know my stuff. (laughs) I would sit in rooms. I would give ideas. I would give feedback. And even those women, it would fall totally upon deaf ears. I would absolutely be ignored and disregarded. 
Oh, but um, I'm sure that they would then bring up your idea two minutes later. Oh, oh, that long? It took that long? As Sometimes their own. Oh, hey, I just I was just thinking, how about <laughs> absolutely you know, the, the thing that they hate happens at work when men do to them, they do to y'all. Or I should say we, you know, I'm not absolving myself, you know, as a white woman. So, yeah, absolutely. So I I did. I wrote a book. Well, I wrote a book because people was asking. And that was a part of it. Like I I talk about the disparities. I talk about allegiances. I talk about mindsets and then also inward. So inward is not just the inward. Mm -hmm. Also to anyone that wants to get into this work to say no. And, you know, what a Nancy is and those types of things. But in part of that mindset is that white savior. Look at me as an equal. Understand that actually I'm the expert because I'm who's most directly impacted. If you do that, instead of saying, hey, let me build this plan for you, then you'll realize how much more successful it'll be. Because for me and my community, we want to trust you before we can even care what you want to do for us. Mm-hmm. And so helping people to understand that, yes, you want to jump in and make a difference. But sometimes the most important thing that you can do is just jump in and build a solid relationship. Because once you trust you, we'll ride with you till the wheels fall off and we'll ride together. Mm-hmm. Helping people to understand that. And then also when you come up with ideas and things like that. And that's where we've been so very deliberate, understanding different nuances, different things culturally. Like I was able to tell my team when they want to start something, they want to start promptly at a time. Not with black people. I don't care how hard we try. We just don't <laughs> get their own time. And, it, and it's one of those perky things where even when I go door knocking, I go door knocking at 10 o'clock at night. So for white people, that freaks them out. <laughs> Who is this black person knocking on my door at 10 o'clock at night? But right? in, in black neighborhoods, I can do that. Yeah. In a white neighborhood, I won't go door knocking by myself. No. Oh, so no. those are, you know, real things, but helping people to understand that's why culture is so important because of how you engage people is vastly different across culture. Yeah, yeah. that makes sense. And that being said, we're in a in Gainesville, what is perceived as a very liberal, um, you know, forward thinking, supposedly um, group of people, um, you know, so. Sometimes Shanae Shana shouldn't need to not to have someone right. with her. Right. Right. That that's the perception that mm-hmm. she should be okay. Mm-hmm. But even yeah. here. Yeah. But let's put should in quotation marks because the reality of this country is, I mean, shoulds just don't apply. Right. You know, I mean, the everything about this country is should, mm-hmm. but but the reality is totally different. And I would love to give you a hilarious story. The story is so funny to me. So here, our city commission actually shut down an entire city commission meeting, and they shut the meeting down is because I was deemed a threat. I remember that. <laughs> so for it backfired. So you are not you just meeting me on this actual call, Kelly. But I am very straight to the point and no nonsense. And so I am known for being the lady that cusses the mayor and everybody out on my live videos. Please do. I use a lot of acronyms. So like my book, the title of it is, yeah, I said that I don't give a damn. And damn is disparities, allegiances, mindsets, and Nancy's. My podcast is called Talking Shit. And shit actually stands for stimulating and highly intellectual talk. And then I use another acronym, which is drag, which is do research and go. And so I stated, yes. So I, and so I'm known for this. 
And so it was just, they were trying to shut me down because of course, when we start to make progress, they try to find ways in order to detour from the particular subject. And one of their, the commissioners, she's a white presenting Latina. She's a bully. She is very, very aggressive. She's very, like, she's nasty to a point that, like, she flipped off the firefighters because they were having a disagreement about mandated vaccines. And so whatever my scheme was, like, she know I'll drag her, which means do research and go out, get her. So they call themselves, they call, they engage the law enforcement. And so even when the office, and they canceled the city commission meeting. So of course, even all the news outlets know me. So when they allowed me to be interviewed, of course, they put a whole nother spin on it, which it blew up in the mayor's face. I went and pulled public records to see that the mayor was a catalyst, the city city manager was in it. But then um, in the police report, they wrote that I was a threat because of criminal stuff that my dad had been into. And then, oh, and she has a background. Oh, but it was so much fun because I got to sit down on a live video and really talk about how racist their actions actually were. And then even for things like I have a background for, like one is felony welfare fraud. I had a caseworker who input my input income information in incorrectly, and they wanted me to actually be prosecuted for that. So I refused to take the plea deal that they gave because I had done nothing wrong. And so I had that opportunity to talk about, I had some worthless checks like back in the day. Yeah, because there wasn't enough money. And when one thing bounced through at the time, the money was in there. So I was able to lay all of this out for people. So of course, more people appreciated me. Mm-hmm. And then of course they, it, but it's just that kind of deal. And so it was so easy, not because I'd done anything wrong. I was holding them to accountable for their actions. So they wanted to criminalize me. And I got this brand that I have where I'm really loud and audacious. Is because that's what it is. Every time a black woman, and not just me, so many would try to step up and say things, they would never be aggressive and they had to be very timid. And I don't want people to think that I'm an angry black woman. And so I, <laughs> right. I was like, you know what? I absolutely want to be that. Yeah. I'm not an angry black woman. I'm mad as hell. And yeah. this is why. And so now that's how this all you know came to be. And ironically enough, so many people feel heard and are, feel vindicated um, for having the ability to be angry. And so not just as a black woman, but as women, as men, anyone who was angry about this verdict absolutely should. It has been our anger. That's what happened in our Stonewall riots that got us queer rights. It has been our anger as it related to even women getting voting rights. And it was our anger even during the civil rights movement that moved things forward. So they're trying to utilize and determine how we respond to mistreatment as a way to control us yep. because they, our anger gets things done. I will say I was uh, surprised the Saturday, the Saturday at the protest that was at the courthouse. We'll say this. We keep having protests at the state courthouse, but we're protesting federal shit. But I get that it's on Main Street. But apparently we did not have a permit to march. And when it started, you could see on the law enforcement's face like, well, they're not. And they actually shut down the streets. And I wasn't surprised because I was like, well, here we go. Somebody's going to get arrested. It'll probably be me. <laughs> so trust me, any I am not quiet about so my distrust. You won't get arrested. So I do want you to know. And, and maybe they should. I keep saying they shouldn't be, but maybe they should be. If anything like that, that I'm at, you, that no police agency here in Gainesville will touch it because they know it would not. Well, the thing is, as a white woman, if that's what I got to do, if I got to step in front of somebody and get arrested again, I work in criminal defense. I have five criminal defense attorneys on speed dial. I will be ROR'd. I know this. So fine, arrest me. Here's my mugshot. I will smile pretty. 
<laughs> um, because there's so much, I think, of so many people don't participate because that's what they're afraid of. It's going to look like this. Or, you know, I have bad checks. I Look, my driving record, not good. There's suspended license. There's there, It's all there. Um, and people are afraid that, you know, there's so much shame behind those things that, and I think people who should be running for office don't because of that. Absolutely. Like, you know, and I know how, you know, the, the help system, the welfare system works and how they will prosecute people. Um, they tried to prosecute me because job and family services sent a demand for child support information to my wrong address. Mm. And I'm the person receiving child support. And so they prosecute me for Medicaid fraud for my kids because I didn't respond to a letter I didn't get. And people are so afraid to have that thrown out there. People who would actually do good and follow through on their what they're into because that's shameful. And I think we got to take away the shame of that because I will say I used to support Poe. And then I saw what happened when they threw you out. And I had an incident about five, four years ago with a very slumlord in Gainesville. And I reached out to a city commissioner who actually ran on a platform of renter's rights. Wow. Who had messaged me privately, anything I can do to help. And when I reached out to them and I'm like, code enforcement doesn't show up after five. I have unlicensed men in my house after five. This is going on. This is going on. And everybody was like, oh, well, we, I did. Um, Huh? I'm like, you ran on a platform of renter's rights and I'm having to explain to you what the renter's rights codes are. Yep. And uh-huh. it's the, the right thing. But so, you were quick to message me when we matched on Tinder. Gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> and so those things happen. And what's interesting about that night, I actually didn't get thrown out. I was able to, I stayed the entire meeting. I was a threat after the fact, <laughs> which makes absolutely no sense. <laughs> And this right here, this discussion is exactly why I suggested that these two ladies come and talk because Absolutely. neither one of them throw, holds their punches. Yeah. And, and that's how things get done. Absolutely. This has been so good. I really appreciate y'all being here and sharing your personal stories, all of your words of wisdom. So what what I have gleaned is it comes down to voting locally as well as state and nationally. Uh, I didn't ask earlier about not voting independent, but even though we don't love the two-party system, I think we have to vote Democrat right now because Republicans vote Republican and there are times that Democrats, it seems, will say, well, I'm just tired of the whole thing. I'm going to vote independent and we lose votes that way. Would you say that that's right? Absolutely. And you okay. do two things. You do vote Democratic. Like I started off with, they're the ones that claim to to advocate for things that directly impact us. So that means we can actually hold them accountable to that, but then also be deliberate about engaging people who actually represent the people. So one of the things that I like to say, I want us to unlearn is we need to stop seeking good Democrats. And those are the people who won't make waves 
those are the people who are just going to go along with the flow. Like here in Florida, DeSantis tried to implement maps that would eliminate two black voting districts. The fact that in Tallahassee, only three people sat on that House floor in protest of that is absolutely disgusting. Yeah. So there has to be a higher level of accountability to us as Democrats, that if you're here to work for the people, that also means fight for the people as if they're your own children. Yeah. Great point. All right. Um, Get involved in organizations that already exist and have infrastructure set up instead of thinking, oh, I need to go start something, get your ego out of the way, join groups that are already making progress, Uh, donate to those groups. And right now you can donate to what was the group again? Um, National Network of Abortion Funds is one example that will help women right now get the abortions that they need. Oh, donate to your group too. Okay. Uh, Give your group name again and the URL, please. Okay, it's um, FloridaFordCoalition.com. Okay. Um, and then the other one is Shanae Jackson, which is spelled C-H-A-N-A-E, oh, right there, Jackson.com. And so I think I want to point that out too. A lot of people don't think that these organizations are funded. We are self-funded. So that means all the money comes out of our pocket specifically. Um, I did a calculation from last year. Last year, I donated $226,000 of my time. And then I personally donated almost $22,000 of my money. And this year, even more so because I'm paying staff for things that we do for free. And so people don't understand that part of it. So not only are we giving all of ourselves, we're giving everything that we got and we're carrying it on our backs because the change is just that important. Mm. That's awesome. Okay. So question, Shanae, Gwen. Kelly, um, so during all of this, especially, Shanae, with everything you're carrying on your shoulders, heading these organizations, how do you, um, I want to say self-care or Mm. like, what do you do? I know because of where I work and the things I read, like going home and being able to leave it at the door. So for me, me, um, and that's how my brain works. Mm -hmm. What I do is self-care for me. So there is actually a whole theory and a body of research about activism as a form of rest. Um, And so advocacy as a form of healing. So for me, that is what it is. So even when Roe versus Ray overturned, and I'm not a crier, I cried a lot on Friday. But after being able to get people together, get people motivated to action, get people to sign up, I'm okay. Um, And so for me, it is, I get help. I get a sense of dread and helplessness and hopelessness if I'm not working when things like this happen. So the way my brain processes it is that the world is on fire and I was set here to do something about it. And if that means burns other stuff down. So that is my form. I do work hard to play harder. So when I am with my family and I go places, I have a great, great time. So people are, oh my gosh, you're really laid back. And so I'm very deliberate about, like I went to a, a gathering, um, a friend of mine has a band on Saturday night. And mind you, Saturday, I had a funeral, my uncle's funeral. I went to the rally that we coordinated. I had to go back and support my family in the gravesite. And then I went to that particular event and went home. And then I got back up on Sunday and then did our We Are Here, We Are Queer event. And so there is a, a whole series that I actually do on activism as a form of rest in healing. That makes a lot of sense. 
I don't do what you do, but I totally <laughs> hear you and agree on that taking action as a form of rest or, or self-care, because if I do nothing or, you know, try to ignore it, like the people who say, oh, I just can't watch the news. No, what do you mean? It has you live to. in a vacuum. Exactly. No, to me, like ignoring it, which I just can't do it. Like I can't escape it. So even if I'm doing something else, like I co-host another podcast on pop culture. And so we give ourselves homework every week of watching specific movies or TV shows. So even while I was doing that over the weekend to get ready for yesterday's recording, I'm like, I can't even focus on this. I'm thinking about the Supreme Court ruling. I mean, not every minute, but you know, it's there. It's pervasive. Mm -hmm. So I have to do something. And and this is what I came up with in addition to, you know, donating and Mm -hmm. writing and and all that, you know, emailing, calling my uh, representatives and government and all of that. Uh, Because Pennsylvania, it's not a done deal yet. I don't know what's going to happen in PA. It's legal right now, but I don't know what's going to happen. I'm from Ohio and what I'm reading is, I mean, I'm it's gone. living in Florida and I'm from Ohio and it's fucked both places. Yeah, Sorry. it's it's on its way out. <laughs> yeah. Ohio immediately is worse than yeah. Florida. Yeah. But, but so I'm like, you know, I really want to talk about this. And so I came up with the idea of doing this podcast and, and it's really, really helping. Yeah. So again, thank y'all. Thank you. So you two, Gwen and Brooke, what do y'all do about self-care then and something like this? Honestly, (laughs) I fight with strangers on Facebook. (laughs) It's liberating. Oh my God. I I will not say who, but I have gotten a call from someone who works for the county thanking me for my service in such things. I keep my social media very curated to not living in a bubble because I know what's going on, but I, you're not going to debate the, my rights to my body with me on my Facebook page. That, especially if you're a man, like, mm-hmm. it, you, no, I had a guy in trying to, my DMs, like, I know what this is like. You've been pregnant. You've been trapped <laughs> trying to claw your way out of something. No, you haven't. Shut up. Not going out with you. And I almost died in childbirth twice. So I wouldn't <gasps> do that. Oh. Oh, yeah. So when people and, say that, yeah. <laughs> and what yeah. Shanae was saying earlier about the person, well, my cousin was born at 16 and a half weeks. Um, so I have had an abortion. No problem. Um, I've also had a miscarriage mm-hmm. at they between the point I was going in to find out the gender. Um, not a heartbeat, but to me, that was a baby because I had chosen to have that baby. Mm-hmm. That was a baby I was planning for. Um, they, I had to go into the hospital because I was too far along for home. And I ended up having to have a DNC, um, because my body refused to go into labor. And I had to sit there first of all, and listen to them discuss how to code the DNC for my miscarriage, a non-viable fetus. There was no heartbeat. Because it's still technically an abortion. Mm-hmm. But the all of the fetal tissue was removed in one. I got to, I had a thing in my brain. I wanted to see my baby. And I did. And wow. I can tell somebody at 16 and a half to 20 weeks, that wasn't a baby. Mm-hmm. That was a baby in my brain. Mm-hmm. That was my, but in my hand, what I held 
That was not, I see the pictures they put up outside of like the protest at the clinic. That is not what's happening in there. I know this. So part of my self-care is every Wednesday and Thursday, I drive by the clinic where they're protesting and I lay on my horn and I flip them off. (laughs) Nice. Every week. Um, I was very, my, my son, if he is with me, has yelled expletives out the window. I do not believe in being the bigger person or taking the high road. Yeah, I am on the low road to hell. Yeah. <laughs> Agreed. Going? Yeah, I don't go, I, 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 I Michelle Obama, but she can go as high as she wants. I am down here. Yeah. Okay, but also That's I have a, my best friend. So she decided not to have an abortion because she had other people to convince her. What had happened in her situation is she actually was pregnant with twins and she didn't know that until she had to go in. They ended up doing a DNC and she didn't find out until later on that there was another baby still there. <gasps> She got to be about 16 weeks. That's when they went in and found that like, the baby was going to have the excess amount of fluid and different things on the, on the brain. Um, It was going to be a high instance of the baby not surviving. Well, she decided to have him. When she decided to have him, he spent the first three, four months of his life in um, the ICU. Even when he came home, we were traveling to places like North Carolina to try to get um a helmet. He had a tube that he had to be fed from. He was missing toes. He lived to be 14 months. She was left after insurance got maxed out of more than a million dollars in medical. (gasps) And so people can say what they want to say is we're talking about life. We should also be talking about quality of life. It's it's not pro-life. It's pro-birth. birth. And it's not even pro-birth. It's just pro-control. You're Um, right. You're right. You know, and the fact the burden that was placed upon her, she couldn't work in different things like that. And so I wouldn't trade the time that he was here for the 14 months, but there was no quality of life for him in that time frame. Yeah. And that was almost 17 years ago. She still battles the decision not to have had the abortion. And that's the reason we need to allow people to make their choices. Yeah. Yeah, and this is why I flip it off those protesters, even when it's a bunch of nuns. Because my friend that works there has said, if you heard, because I was like, man, today I, I waved my unity finger at a bunch of nuns. <laughs> and I was raised Catholic. Well, no. He said, if you heard what they said to me when I walked into work or to the people pulling into the clinic, and they now have someone out there they have who pretended to work there that was trying to take them to the center next door. So that is, wow. but that is my scare. Cause I, I get so mad. I'm all yeah. pent up and ragey and I can't relax and have a good time. So I go yell at strangers on Facebook and then I get put in Facebook timeout for three or four days and I have to use an alternate account. And it just goes, <laughs> I have three Facebook pages because of that. <gasps> oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. And you get in jail because the people incite you and I'm the ultimate troll. And so then they get offended because you've trolled them and they've not gotten under your skin. And they report you, even if they said things that are much harsher than what you said. And then I go in with my alternative page and report their comments on the page. They just got me in trouble from. See, we can both play this game. I got emails all day. Long. Make so oh my many goodness. Accounts. Y'all are awesome. Wow. I think that's how I pretty much. Yeah. So at- these ladies are my self-care. Yeah. Right, <laughs> I can see that. <gasps> I totally see that. When I start feeling that despair, I just see their posts coming into my feed, and I get yeah. to choose. You know, do I engage? Do I not? Sometimes I do. Sometimes I don't. Yeah. Um, you know that if I'm engaging, this it's is that- a serious thing. 
right? Um, yeah. I'm not um, as active as either of them, but you know, if I'm there, if I'm in the the feed, this is a big deal. Yeah. And I'm gonna scoop in because nobody's gonna talk shit to you. <laughs> <laughs> And, and her husband, look, yeah. I, at the at the protest on Saturday, a woman who I know is batshit crazy, and I have watched her go on racist, homophobic rants on other people's pages, um, decided that it was my turn. Just, she made bad choices. Um, but I started with going to our mutual friends, one of happen, whom happened to be Gwen's husband. <laughs> and we were at the pro, and I walked up. I was like, hey, y'all know her? So they're not friends anymore. I'm very uh, big and people behave poorly absolutely. or why quit doing this phone or, you know, when, how you said holding elected officials accountable, publicly calling them out. Mm -hmm. I'm, not calling I, I'm not doing it quietly. We're I'm, yeah. I will talk to you and I will send it to your mom and your sister and every mutual friend we have, because, you know, kind of like when the, when the ugly, white supremacy started to rear its very public face again. Yeah. They had never gone away. Mm -hmm. That's right. They were just afraid to be in public. Mm -hmm. I can't, you can't hug the Nazi out of a Nazi, but you can make them live in a hole. Yeah. And make sure they are not welcome in your social circles. I have cut off most of my family for being Trump supporters, for the comments I saw they left on social media. I said, mm -hmm. you know, I can't change your mind. This is how you are. This is how you feel. I don't know what happened to you. Um, but I can talk to you about it to a point, And then it's time to cut you off. Absolutely. I will yeah. stop you from abusing anyone when I see it. But you don't get any um, access to me or my children or my life because I think you're a horrible human being. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. We don't have to give them any more of a platform than uh, or add to the platform that they are no. already taking and yeah, suffer That's them ourselves. They yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, y'all are truly awesome. I really appreciate y'all being here today and sharing all of this with my listeners. And uh, again, I will share all of those links in the show notes. Um, so yeah, this has been really wonderful. Thank you so much. And thank you all for listening today. And I will see you next time back with some marketing and business stuff <laughs> on the marketing chat podcast. Thank y'all. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. Thank Bye. you. Bye. Bye.